0: Right in and screaming things like let's go. So let's go. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> yeah, that's that's gonna be her opening skit. Um so what is up, partner up? Welcome back. Uh we have a trio here today. So if you didn't catch the introduction to Michelle Albanese episode, we are joined by my amazing co-host and colleague of the past three and a half years, Michelle Albanese. Michelle, what's up? Woo!
1: Let's go. What's up, partner up?
0: Yes, <laughs> indeed. And then um our guest today, I am super excited about. I feel like we've been up-leveling um, the folks we've been bringing to you all um, you know, week after week, from Bobby Knapp to Avanish. And now we have on Dave, the CEO of Impact.com. Dave, welcome to Partner Up.
2: Hey, guys. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course, of course. And I, I was super excited because I actually um, got an advanced kind of like copy of something that I think we've all been waiting for in partnerships world, which is a somewhat definitive book on modern partnerships, not like written from the IT world 20 years ago, but like a modern <laughs> partnership. So, Dave, you have a book on partnerships coming out, I believe, and it's available for pre order on Amazon, if I'm not mistaken. It is.
2: It is. It's actually coming out the day before my birthday, February 15th. So, uh, we're excited about it. It's called The Partnership so this, Economy.
0: So, the partnership economy. So, and that's available for pre order on Amazon.
2: On Amazon, yes, uh, published by uh, Wiley. So uh, we're excited about this one. Finally, it's getting the recognition that uh, that it deserves.
0: So, question then: Did um, did you have to like bribe Wiley to like do that the day you know before your birthday? Was that part of the no, contract negotiation
2: no, no, process? No, no, no. you know, these things take time. It's actually been in the making for uh, over two years, probably two and a half years now. These things take time, uh, but they're extremely excited about. It. I think. We had the same effect on Wiley as we do, like, you know, potential customers that, that we talk with or, or other partners. Like once you get into the story and you explain what's happening, like people's eyes light up, you know, the light goes on, you know, and it snaps for them. And, and it was uh, exciting to get Wiley behind the story. So they're excited. We're excited. Comes out February 15th.
0: Uh, I mean, I'm excited. I've been waiting for something like this for a long time. Um So partnerships economy, I got the advanced copy. And one thing that I will call out, and we'll get into some of the topics for today, is that the examples that you were using and calling out almost, not necessarily as a case study, but illustrative of the point of how to activate these big partnerships and how people are kind of thinking a little bit differently about their go-to-market today. The examples that you utilize in the book are so relatable to the people that are living in the modern SaaS era. And I think that's what's been lacking more than anything is that anything that's documented or written or a book is, you know, it's old names and old logos that a lot of people can't relate to. So uh, I commend you and the team and the work that you put in on bringing something modern to the forefront and using examples that I think the SaaS world, both B2C and B2B, can, um, you know, take some uh, take some great nuggets from. And I also think it's a great executive primer as well, like... Um, one, one interesting story, which um, uh, it, it may or may not have been a book that you've uh, uh, read was when Sequoia kind of joined formatively at uh, HubSpot and started working with Brad Coffey and kind of like their partnerships leader team, um, it, they made everyone read Platform Revolution. Um, as a, as a primer. And I feel like, you know, this might be that similar kind of primer for a company that's going, Hey, we really want to formalize our partnership strategy. This is something the CMO, the CRO, the CEO, the CTO could all read to go, okay, what does that mean? Uh, aside from hiring someone and saying, you're anointed with partnership strategy and um, go work in a silo and then come tell us um, that's right. why you can't source revenue.
2: That's right. Yeah. The first thing I would say is, you know, although my name is on the book um, and definitely helped uh, drive uh, the writing of the book for sure, of course, but the truth is this book was really written by our business and it was written by our customers. What we dive into Mm -hmm. is the stories of impact.com customers, uh, the experience they've had, you know, just internally, just kind of like evolving their whole strategy around partnerships and the work that we've been doing. That's really where the story came from. And it was just exciting for me and the team to kind of take that that story uh, to market essentially. And and the rewarding thing is, you know, partnerships have been going on for hundreds of years, probably. Um, But I think what has happened in the past is that they've existed like in silos and these very fragmented teams within the enterprise. And, you know, I feel like we're that first platform. We're now this global standard platform for all partnership types. And there's, you know, tell a story about Walmart. Like why did they choose impact.com? And it was because they wanted to get all their different partnership types into one place and then really put the people process and technology behind a really important business strategy for them to compete with people like Amazon, right? Amazon has probably the world's most successful partnerships or associate program. They call it the the Amazon associates program. They get over, I think it's 600 million customers per month to their app and to their, um, to their website, buying things uh, through their associates. I think a lot of businesses are waking up to, you know, this opportunity that exists when you put influencers together with the traditional rewards affiliates with commerce contents of biz dev stuff, Walmart replaced like filing cabinets, literally filing cabinets of business development contracts, consolidated all that into one platform. And I think, you know, this, the exciting thing for us is that I feel like we're waking the world up, that this is a big thing when you put it all together, like in their own, like they're kind of, you know, kind of ad hoc things that uh, that businesses are just doing uh, throughout their organization. But when you put it together, is where you realize the magnitude of the effect that all this has on, on business, essentially. And so it's been an, an exciting story for us to tell. And you're talking about HubSpot. you know, They did something similar. They, they proved that there's a category that exists around inbound marketing and, and the need for automation. And if you were to kind of look back you know, 10 plus years, they were roughly the size that we are today. You fast forward to today, they have over 100,000 customers on their platform. They just crossed over a billion in revenue and we see that exact same journey for uh, a company like impact.com just proving that there's a real category and an opportunity here for businesses around partnerships and while you're getting your act together around organizing your people you know you know you think of sales teams think of marketing teams most enterprises have very sizable teams in those other categories and channels for revenue acquisition And then you think about process you think of territories and quotas and you know what's that process you're going to follow every day to make calls and get opportunities started to do business, etc. Pipeline coverage, quota coverage, partnerships haven't been thought of in that same light. And this is the thing that's exciting for us at Impact.com is just really trying to educate and evangelize the power of this of this channel. And that's really the the the, the, the driving force behind wanting to write this book and, and tell that story so that other businesses uh, can um, participate, especially now, especially when you look at the challenges. They're happening around just advertising in general, like especially digital advertising. We're losing cookies. We're losing retargeting. We're losing measurement. Uh, we're losing the oh, modern and, and consumer. It's, it's getting cheaper
0: too, right? Like yeah. The cost of yeah. ads are
2: just going down. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Conversion rates are going Not. up. It's just getting easier to go to market, right?
2: <laughs> Not. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot of stars aligning uh, that I think is just the perfect time for a, a book like this to come out and, and kind of educate the market on how you can remain competitive in this, in this modern space.
0: And I think that's one of the things that I was so excited whenever I talked to you um, initially, Dave, is that you're, you're full of anecdotes and stories um, and kind of examples of how companies are utilizing best-in-class partnerships as a primary lever in their go-to-market. And you know, one of the things that you talked about, that the, there's you know, referral examples everywhere, right? Like you, you mentioned something as simple as you know, recruiting. I mean, the best source of new hires is typically your people. Right, so like, let's maybe talk about some of those examples that you think through whenever you're trying to maybe educate a wider organization. Now, you're leading Impact.com. I think you're the the largest software um, kind of player in the space of uh, you know partnerships technology. What are some of the examples you use to help a team understand? Hey, look, you might think this is new to you, but it's actually you know these referrals concepts. They're everywhere.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think you can dive into those stories without first understanding what's evolved on the consumer side. And and we can go as far back as you want to talk about it. But, right. you know, I think of going way back, you know, people sitting around the radio and around the TV where there were just a handful of channels that were available to them. and And they were kind of told what to buy, essentially, right? So everyone sang the same jingle and ran out and bought the same products because advertisers were kind of driving the narrative and there wasn't like an ecosystem or anything else out there to kind of compare with people just kind of went and bought what they were told. If you fast forward to today and you look at the amount of, of information that is out there about products, I think it started with the large uh, social media publishing platforms like YouTube. You had uh, influencers that were just passionate about certain products that would do unboxing videos and people just showing products and talking about what they like and don't like. And that really kind of helped to drive, um, you know, what people bought and how they bought, essentially. I think the major publishers like the Condé Nast and the Meredith brands, the BuzzFeed brands, those major teams of editors started to follow along and said, hey, let's let's pay a little bit more attention to what our readers actually want instead of us making the editorial decisions, kind of like the old uh, media channels. They were deciding all the news that was fit to print. And when you look at the social bub- uh, social publishing platforms and how they had comments and they had subscribe or, or unsubscribed, you know, sort of features of real-time feedback that that the audience was providing on those platforms. And I think the major publishers took note of that and started to do the same thing, surveying their audiences, uh, following search trends, social trends, and started to write uh, about content and reviewing products about, uh, you know, what their audience was interested in buying. Like Wirecutter was acquired by New York Times. And, you know, there's they find out that people are, are in market to buy 4K TV, but they're too expensive. So they review all these different 4K TVs and, and write a product review and recommendation set, try and guide their audience. And you look at the amount of information that's out there today, that's like that commercial-based content, that's really what's buy, uh, driving the um, the uh, kind of the buyer journey today. And I think if you add all that up, what, what is, this is the thing that gets me most excited about, like who really wins in, in today's environment, it's the end consumer. Because what partnerships is all about is, um, I think, just acknowledging the fact that the consumer today is in full control of the buying journey. They're, they're no longer doing what you're telling them you know, with an ad. And, and in fact, they just have outright disdain for that disruptive, interruptive behavior of advertising. And they're taking a more active role in searching for what they want to buy and how they're going to buy. And they're getting that information from these publishers, these influencers, these uh, other businesses that are giving recommendations on those things. And that's what's guiding them. And so what I get excited about most, just to dive into your question, Jared, on some examples would be we're, we're mature businesses who get this. It's all about the modern consumer today. And how do we embrace them, honor them, let's stop interrupting them and let's start giving them a better experience. Like think about, think about what we've done to the consumer over the years, over the last decades that I've been in in digital advertising and and MarTech, we've done pop-ups, we've done email spamming, you know, we've done everything to just interrupt what they're online to do. They're online to do three things. They want, they're looking for information, looking for entertainment, they're looking to connect with people. That's it. They're not online looking for ads. And we've just abused um, the format of advertising, I think, over the last couple of decades. And so now the modern businesses, and we tell these stories uh, actually in the book Businesses that really belong together in, in a way that they, c- they can integrate their, their services and create a point of convenience or just a better experience in, in some way for the consumer are the ones that get me the most excited. Like a really easy example is Qantas. You go to Qantas.com to book a flight to Australia, you'll see top of fold an option to also book a stay at an Airbnb. That just makes sense. Those brands you know, are of the same caliber. They kind of belong together. You would think if you're if you're booking a, a plane ticket, you're probably gonna need a place to stay. Uh, Airbnb promotes it as fly there, live there. You know, they've got a lot of travel partnerships that are done like that. Uh, I, I interviewed, it's not talked about in the book, but I interviewed recently um, uh, Canva and HubSpot. So if you're in HubSpot, these are both uh, channel uh, partnership customers on our platform. So if you're in the HubSpot platform and you're looking to do a design element for uh, an inbound marketing campaign that you're doing, does it make sense to exit the HubSpot you know uh, platform and then go over to canva do your design and then bring it back into into HubSpot No that doesn't make sense. So if you're in the HubSpot um, experience you can you know now tap you know sign up with canva do your design thing all within HubSpot and add that to to uh, your inbound marketing campaign you know, It makes complete sense. Uh, another example on and on about the
0: canva example i have to interrupt there because i want to come back to that because it's an example of b2c versus b2b which i know we want to get into but it feels to me like there's absolutely a category of technologies that can be created with that same concept in mind like a lot of canvas um i think innovation comes from the fact that they're not just a design tool because there's how many design tools online i mean there's hundreds of design tools right But their distribution strategy is to power design in the area where people need it, not in this separate other application. And and, and that's a novel way of thinking about going to market. And I feel like what we've been so addicted to in the MarTech world is how do we optimize our funnel? How do we optimize for that conversion? How do we come up with new ways of injecting ourselves into some consumer discovery process to try and capture demand? And I feel like the other way of approaching it that you're talking about is putting that consumer behavior and that buyer experience first is actually thinking about something entirely different, which is how do I make the consumer's life better where they already live, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you think about canvas value proposition, I mean, my last company, I was at PandaDoc. They have a great integration where you probably need designs in your documents. That partnership got announced and there's, I mean, already thousands of people using it. With a startup and a startup, thousands of people using the integration, just like that. Why? Not because Canvas tried to inorganically interrupt the Pandadoc user flow or the HubSpot user flow. They've said, hey, we're going to help you where you live. A lot of CEOs should take note of that, I think, in this day and age.
2: Yeah, you know, they teach you that in, in marketing school and college, but I don't think people pull it forward <laughs> to the way the modern uh, marketers are thinking about today, at least on, on our platform, where you know it, it's all about being what I call relevant in the daily lives of the consumers that you're trying to do business with. Like a lot of people, for example, have a certain opinion about cashback, coupon, loyalty um, types of publishers like Ibotta. They've got 35 million app installs. People who are starting some of their e-commerce journey going to Ibotta, saying, "Hey, I want to buy this thing." you know, guide me in the right direction. And there's some kind of rewards or uh, loyalty or, or cash back related to that exchange. It's kind of like, I don't care what you think of that type of publisher, think of the consumer and and, and what they're doing, essentially. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, the uh, I interviewed uh, Wink and Sunbasket recently, uh, and Wink was kind of telling me the story about how they choose their partners. And um, they said, well, you know, we're looking for partners. Um, you know, some ba- both of them are clients on our platform, and they know that um, through SunBasket, Basket, they're getting these prepackaged, pre-made meals mailed to them. Doesn't it make sense that um, they might want uh, wine to go with that meal? It's kind of like uh, the Super Size me, um, you know, experience at, at McDonald's. I don't want to um, lower the the experience there. We probably cut cut that part out of, of this thing. Now that I think about <laughs> it, but the the idea is. Doesn't it make sense that in your sun basket uh, package, there would be an insert that says, Hey, we're partnered with uh, Wink um, and would really recommend them as, you know, if you're, if you're looking for wine? But it goes much further than that. Like, this is the, this is the thing that really gets me excited is when Wink tells me, you know, that how deeply they believe in how their products are sourced, how they clean their equipment, how they manufacture their wine, how they treat their employees, uh, all that stuff. And they have built that into their partnership program, because this is the other thing. Again, recognizing the modern consumer today, they care about those things. They care about doing business with brands that operate a certain way, and they're going to keep buying from those types of brands. So when someone like Wink is looking to um, partner with other businesses, it's not based on you know, the, the highest um, commission return on a referral, or it's not just the highest amount of sales. It's like, who's a really good match for my consumer because we wink as a, as a brand care about these things. And we're going to make sure that, that anyone that we partner with, that their brand in its entirety aligns with our brand as well.
0: Right. If I, if I think about this a little deeper, the preference towards the consumer experience, it's like, I mean, we've been evangelizing that, Michelle, for you know, years, right? Like consumers have all the control, like the rise of conversations yeah. over filling out. They have all the
1: power. They have right. all the power, whether we right. believe it or not.
0: <laughs> you know, like we, we see that adrift given where we sit in the customer journey, that people want answers to their question, not just to sit around and wait for a sales rep in B2B. Um, but if I think about the the reasons why a lot of companies, as much as they might think that they want to prioritize the consumer experience, at the end of the day, sometimes that's not enough. Right? They might recognize, hey, consumer behaviors change, but I still have metrics, I still have um, you know, a board, I still have a CEO, I still have these other demands of me. And I think the thing that people also need to recognize is not just the consumer behaviors changing, it's also kind of what we opened with, the uh, or at least what I was making fun of, which is the continuation of rising acquisition costs and declining conversion rates. Right? No, this is not just a consumer preference, it's a business imperative in 2021 and beyond, like in this decade, Jay McBain's called it, you know, the decade of ecosystems. And why is that? And I think it's, it's the consumer preference, like you mentioned, but it's also, Hey, the promise of digital advertising, is that still really here at a scale where we can, you know, break through the average American seeing between 410,000 ads a day?
2: Yeah. You know, like, yeah, let's try and let's, let's try that, and step. Let's, yeah, let's try and step through that because there's there's a lot to unpack on that point. I'm gonna uh, right. maybe just kind of give it from my perspective because I've I've watched this movie now for the last uh, couple decades, uh, coming right. from Conversant and uh, other companies in, in the Martech ethics tech space. And what I've seen happen here is, you know, essentially, you know, uh, advertising has been around forever. It's had a certain promise, and it's all, the the whole mindset is doing something to the consumer and manipulating data to kind of, you know, best target, you know, and, you know, jam an ad in front of somebody's face. That's kind of what we've done like for hundreds of years, probably now, uh, or at least a hundred years. And when you look at, I I think the tipping point that we've hit, you touched on this, Jared, is the skyrocketing ad price. I think that was the final nail, honestly, in the coffin for, uh, for advertising, digital advertising, at least, because what's happened is big tech. So that's Apple, Uh, and Google, namely. So Apple has done away with IDFA. That's the identifier for advertisers. So you can no longer identify somebody on an iOS or a Safari device. And then Google followed up to that with loss of the Google cookie as well as retargeting, or at least I think they've pushed it out a little further. So they've announced that they're doing away with it. And so what does all that mean? If you're a brand, you cannot effectively target, track, or measure an ad anymore, unless it's within what are called the wall gardens, right? And so that's namely... Google, Facebook, Amazon are the top three platforms, basically, they're getting more than 90% of digital ad dollars. And if you look at them, plus TikTok, plus Snap, and all the the other top big tech platforms, their ad rates are up 100 plus percent, most of them, right? The average CPM on Facebook has uh, grown to the latest figure I saw was $11 CPM. You know, a year or two ago, it was $3. It's now $11 CPM uh, on average to run an ad on Facebook. And so the it's really hit the pocketbook of, of the advertiser. For the last 10, 15 years, it's just been easy. It's been very coin-operated. I put a dollar in, I get a click back, everyone's done, and let's just keep keep rinsing and repeating this advertising thing that we've been doing for 100 years. Now that the ad rates have gone so sky high, it's forcing businesses to finally wake up to the real heart of the issue, and that is this interruptive you know, um, uh, sort of behavior of advertising and what's wrong with that. I have clients now that uh, I think uh, I think some of the thought leadership that we've put out there certainly has been helpful, but I think a lot of people are just kind of realizing this for themselves. What they're saying is, gosh, we've done some testing. We've turned off Facebook. Yes, we've um, we've lost some sales results, but not as much as we thought. More importantly, as a senior team, we're realizing that we don't want to be that ad. We don't want to be that interruptive disruptive sort of brand that is kind of interrupting the flow of what consumers are doing and we want to be a little bit more relevant in the daily lives what are they doing in their daily lives this is the other thing that has changed who who the, the person that used to go to malls and and like trip over a deal you know just mindlessly walking through and buying things that doesn't exist anymore I think that the pandemic just put that to bed today shoppers a very active engaged, shopper, they are researching, they are looking at 15 points of reviews, recommendations, whether it's written, whether it's a video, it could be a small influencer, it could be a major publisher with a team of editors doing a review on something, but it has almost become a competitive sport. Like people are shopping and they are after that dopamine hit when that package shows up on your doorstep, just like you get with a comment or a like on a social post that you do. There's a lot more shopping going on. Uh, You've got 2 million stores on Shopify. 10 years ago, it was like 40,000 stores on Shopify. So you've got a lot more choice. Um, You've got a lot more shopping and you've got a lot more information that's out there today that didn't exist even five years ago. There used to be a couple unboxing videos on YouTube. You look at it now, any product that you want to buy, somebody's had an experience with it and you're in there searching for that experience, that review, uh, just to get a little closer to should I buy this thing or not? And that's what's driving Uh, the modern day purchase. And this is the world of partnerships. Impact.com is a platform that is trying to get businesses to connect with that kind of information. Find the people and the businesses that have this authentic, trusted relationship with the consumer. So what they're doing is they're selling to their audience. They're not selling their audience. They're selling to their audience. And there's there's a very different perspective when you look at it from, from, from that view, right? Because it goes back to my very first point, they're putting the consumer first. If they don't put the consumer first, they're going to lose subscribers. They're going to lose kind of their base. And, uh, you know, I look at it as those influencers are not a salesperson for the brand. They're, they're kind of like the buyer representative, right? The, you know, they're, they're the agent for the buyer kind of acting on their behalf. I think it's, it's, this is like the most revolutionary era in marketing that I think we've witnessed in a very long time. And I think everyone should be excited, excited about it. And that's, going back to the book, what I'm, I'm hoping the effect of the book has on, on businesses that are not fully tuned into this.
0: I couldn't agree more. And it's interesting because it feels like it's touching on another trend that isn't just, you know, the consumer experience. It's not just the you know rising, you know, cost declining conversion rates. There's also this feeling of, I, I don't know, I mean, I guess COVID had a lot to do with it, but consumerism is like, is back in a new form. Like I felt like it was really coming on strong in the mid 2010s and then kind of faded away and like now I almost feel like shopping has become a sport. But the second we got on this call, Dave, the second we got on this call, the very first thing that Michelle did is she holds up what, Michelle?
1: My Whoop, my Whoop 4.0. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's not only Why? an influence, it's it's because it's not only an influence of influencers and partnerships and quote unquote trusted advisors. So buying from other people you know and trust, it's the same thing that goes with your friends, right? So when you think about a consumer purchase, you might look at what your friends are doing, or you might look at what your favorite influencers are doing. And it goes back to the same thing with tech partnerships in B2B or any other partnership you might discover in the space with B2C. It's like, what are the people that I want to be like or want to uh pursue to be like and and how can I purchase and be like them and and trust them in my buying purchase. So yeah, Jared introduced me to Whoop and I was excited to show him that I got the newest version and uh shared it on social myself, got a ton of people, friends, uh engaging and understanding and asking, you know, where'd you get that? How'd you get that so fast, all that sort of stuff. So it's happening here in your day-to-day life, let alone with these big uh buying purchases.
2: Yeah, and it's not all all competitive in that sense. I, I think I think I think it is um to a certain extent where people are competing with each other on social media, but people are just passionate about this stuff. And there's just so much choice. To my other point out there, that people are just into this stuff, you know, and and they're excited to share it. It's just part of the daily life now. Is is this commerce behavior?
1: I think people are excited to share it. To your point, Dave, because they've done so much research. Shopping is a sport, that's a very, right? good, point. So that's a very good point. They put so much energy into finding that purchase, so they're excited to then share it and, and close that loop. So and they want more people to see. Uh, and experience what they did based on all. The and again, just to tie did. it
2: back, in case it's not it's not obvious, that research are it comes from the publishers and the partners that are part of these programs that I'm talking about, right? Because because it's not ad; it's it's very native content, right? The and, and the change here is going from ads that surround that content, right? That's what Facebook does, um, you know, and other social platforms where that content is published. We're talking about the commercial links within that content. So it could be a description of a video, or it could be you know, an article that a wire cutter editor writes. There could be a link for a Vizio TV inside of the um, content piece that they're writing itself. We're not talking about the advertising around it. We're talking about the content itself is commercial in nature. It's what we call commerce content. And a lot of these editors are inserting these commerce links from an impact.com uh, type of platform uh, and forging relationships with, um, you know, Walmart in that case for a 4K TV or someone else where that product is sold.
1: Right, and, so and, here's, here's, back, yeah.
2: and here's another thing that's like super interesting. I think is is looking at the supply side of how this has evolved. So, meaning the publishers themselves, especially the major publishers, these guys have been cut out big time by ad tech for the last ten years. Like, like they used to have direct relationships with brands, you know, selling their CPM, you know, display ad space. By the time you insert a DSP, an SSP, a DMP, an agency, I mean, oh my gosh, there's like 10 cuts of that gross dollar CPM to where they're getting pennies on the dollar. That, that was like the first issue that came up. Now with the loss of targeting, tracking measurement, unless you're inside the wall gardens, they're in a really tough position to make those ads work. Um, and over the last three to four years, like I said, they've been tuning into what the influencers are doing, really listening to their audience, starting to publish content that's more commercial in nature, a lot of these big publishers, like look at BuzzFeed, look at Vogue, a Condé Nast brand, look at uh, CNN, has underscored. I mentioned uh, uh, New York Times is wire cutter. All of these major publishers have large commerce teams now. They're publishing a lot of commerce-based content, and inside the content are these commercial links, right, to, to the articles that they're talking about. And these are editorial decisions that they're making. These are they're not doing this to, to um, you know be a cheesy salesperson. They are delivering authentic. Content that their audience is demanding. What I heard from uh, the GM of Meredith recently is that their commerce revenue has grown 10x in the last three years, and they now have most of their or many of their pages. I should say, I think is what she's saying, with without ads at all, and they're so uh, focused solely on the commerce links within the content, and they're getting 3x the return on those pages. Um, as opposed to, um, yeah, cause it doesn't uh, feel it like you're
1: way. being advertised to, right. It's just within mm-hmm. the context of what you're it's actually reading.
2: Yeah. very native. And yeah. It's very native. Because, yeah. And the yeah. challenge for those publishers is how do you maintain, you know, your business interests along with your editorial interests. And they know just like the influencers yeah. have taught them, if you push yourself too far outside that circle of trust, you're going to lose your audience. Right. And so they, they know that. And so they're, they're going to remain. Uh, true to their audience always. Uh, if you want an ad, you know, I asked in an interview with uh, Neela. She's at SVP of Commerce at BuzzFeed recently. I said, Hey, what if Kim Kardashian comes to your editors and says, Hey, I'll pay you a million dollars to write a review on this product that I'm, I'm launching? She says, I tell her to go talk to the ad sales team. That's not what we do. Like, we're, you know, we're in c- kind of control of our, our editorial decisions. So it's fascinating, how, I think, how that has evolved itself.
0: And yeah i feel like that might be related to another consumer trend which is that consumers are just more skeptical and i also feel like that's because of the rising increase in the quality of Mm -hmm. you know goods and services right like digital transformation has not only allowed for more businesses to come into existence for more disruption but for the you know kind of price disparity to also increase right quality is increasing as well as consumer kind of skepticism i mean Michelle, mm-hmm. I, I know you could like throw it back at me, but like Dave, we were discussing <laughs> how I have like, you know, these melon hats. I think I have like, mm-hmm. here's one, here's two, here's three, here's four. That's my That's running right. one. Like I have four of these stupid hats. These are 60 And how much hats. did you
1: spend on those hats? How much did you spend on those hats, Jared?
0: They're $60 each.
1: For a hat. Mm-hmm. For a hat. <laughs> I yeah, never yeah. would have
0: expected spending $60 on a hat, much less 10 of them. but that's because the quality is fundamentally so much better than any other hat I've ever had. Right. Like I, I run in Florida, Michelle and I live in Florida. It is a humid, hot mess going to runs in Florida. I mean, my hats are, they're disgusting, but these hats Mm -hmm. are incredible. They actually withstand Mm -hmm. that test of time. And and here's the
2: thing, just, just that, that example right there with you, Jared, I think you said skeptical. I would say consumers are skittish. Like they know, when there's a filter on that photo. Right. And, and, you know, it's like, they they have lower respect for that. Like they will call bullshit. Uh, if they see somebody being a cheesy salesperson, oh, this is just a hashtag ad that that's an ad that's not partnerships. That's an ad. What you just said, Jared, is the world of partnerships where this is something that you're passionate about. You're really behind these products. If you were to do like a proper review and post about that with commercial links to go refer, people are happy to, um, Uh, By using your links because they feel like they owe you, you know, some, some sort of um, exchange for that information. That's the other thing is is that I've noticed. Yeah. I was, this is, this is laughable almost, but um, the the craziest example of this that I saw uh, every once in a while, I'll do a woodworking project and I needed to make a a joint for this uh, table that I was making. And so of course I get on YouTube and I find this guy, he's got a lot of videos out there. He's got about a million followers, believe it or not, just some older gentleman in Northern California at the end of his video. He says, hey, my channel is no longer sponsored by micro jig, which is this table saw jig so you don't cut your hand. He goes, but you know, I've been sleeping on this Casper mattress for the last two years and I love it. I almost fell out of my chair laughing. It was just so out of context. But, you know, the guy, he, he spent, I don't know, three, four minutes. It's it's time lapse, him dragging it into his living room. It, he unboxes it. He's got it set up in his bed. He's sitting, he's talking about what he likes, what he doesn't like about it. his cat sitting on it. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if I was in market to buy a mattress right now, I would click his commercial link in the description of the video and buy that mattress through him because he just helped me make this joint. He just made this eight-minute video giving giving me some information about something something else, and I feel like I owe him something. You know? so yeah, it's like it's, a thank it's, you.
1: It's, it's how can I repay this guy for saving yeah. me some time by walking me through this. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's a really fascinating economy that we're operating in. It's very dynamic. And, and on one end, you know, um, we've got clients like, you know, maybe just to kind of change the um, subject here a little bit, Like, but on our platform, just to tell you how um, dynamic this ecosystem is. So we have Target and Disney Plus as, as a client on the Impact.com platform. Uh, now they're working on uh, a partnership where Target is serving as a partner to Disney Plus. So in their stores, they're promoting... Disney plus streaming and they're uh, they've got that set up and there's tracking that's happening uh, on our platform to kind of account for that. And so that's just one of the things that I love about this whole economy is like anybody can be a partner to um, the, the other entity essentially and, and find ways to continue to grow and be relevant to, uh, to the consumers that they're each serving.
1: Yeah. Find that joint value proposition, that better together story. And it's, it's amazing what you can do, right? Like even things that you might not even recognize at first glance, Jared, you talk about this all the time, finding the black swan in the room, like what's the thing that's going to help, uh, the end consumer that you might not recognize in the beginning, but ends up being the the MVP story. So yeah, I think that's amazing. So on your platform, they're able to even uncover those opportunities just by,
2: by working there. We had another, you were talking about the pandemic earlier. We had another really interesting story that, um, came out of left field for me. It's with Rostelli's, which is a direct and consumer, um, meat business, uh, 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 along with Sunbasket, just to mention them again. But Rostelli's, not a whole lot of people know about uh, Rostelli's because their main business is supplying, call it protein, so meat like chicken, steak, fish, to uh, a lot of restaurants and um, hotel chains. Um, and so um, so they are the sole protein supplier to Sunbasket who does the uh, direct-to-consumer prepackaged meals. So during the pandemic, People started a big Sun Basket and said, hey, can we just buy a steak from you or, or chicken from you directly? We don't want to go to the store, the grocery store, because there's a pandemic. And if when we do, they're sold out of meat. And so Sunbasket Basket said, um, long story short, hey, we don't, we don't sell um, you know, just the meat direct to consumer, but we get all of our protein from Westelli's. Uh, why don't you go there to, to buy your, your protein, essentially? So they did a B2B partnership. So, so back to that other example. So they promoted, um, you know, uh, so, so, so uh, I interviewed the CEO of Rostelli's, uh I, I think I give the uh, exact dollar amount, but um, it was like a hundred X return. So in one month uh, it, it was like a hundred X. I think, I think I can report the, the numbers. They went from like 10,000 in sales through that partnership to 1.5 million in one month. Uh, through that B2B partnership. And this is just to give you another example of, of how, again, dynamic this is another really good example. What did, what did Ristels do as their consumers picked up and then they got uh, commerce content placements with CNN Underscore. those team of editors said, hey, people you know are in a pandemic looking to get meat. We're doing the reviews of the top you know direct consumer meat companies and, and you know they did their write up on Ristel's and a few others, Omaha steaks, you know, and they generated referrals that way. And then Rostelli's business, um, the customer base um, built up. And then what did they do? Hey, um, you know, uh, you're buying directions for me, but there's at least three times during the week that you're going to want a fully prepackaged meal sent to you. We're partnering with Sunbasket. Why don't you go there to get your prepackaged meals? So again, it's just like amazing how interconnected everything can be in this partnership economy.
0: This is, this is by far my favorite part of like talking to you, Dave, <laughs> is all of these stories because it's incredible how um, uh, the first co-host and good friend of mine, Kevin Rahaja. So Kevin, um, Kevin's the uh, it's like head of partnerships, uh, you know, HubSpot, uh, Typeform, and now he's over at ActiveCampaign, um, you know, which they're doing fantastic. And one of the things that Kevin always impressed me with was his initial run as leading BD, like employee, the first thirty employees at Groupon right? Because he got to see so many examples of partnerships like quick. So for example, he launched the first Groupon for Uber, right? I mean, an explosion kind of like offer, right? And Groupon is kind of an interesting model to like get a bunch of experience for like offers through a network or a community. And I feel like that's what's missing to get to my point in B2B. Um, so you, you gave some good B2B partnerships examples, but I think some of those, right? The, it's a direct to consumer business. So you might have a B2B partnership, But the end, you know, uh, the partner recipient, if you will, is still a consumer business. Uh, That's the stuff, you know, this is more of my clarion call to the audience. That's the stuff that we should be studying is like, how are consumer brands innovating by taking new, you know, routes to market through partnerships that can kind of help the business to business category innovate? I mean, the Canva and HubSpot example, I think is a great one, but I'd love to hear um, a lot of our audiences in the B2B space I think Impact you've cut your teeth and really built yourself as the best-in-class platform for um, B two C brands, even though a lot of their partnerships are B two B. Talk to me maybe a little bit more about some examples that are B two B, Dave. That
2: are yeah. You know, well, maybe, business, maybe business to help. Companies. I'm not sure if you agree, but we we think of B two B in two forms. There's B two B to C, which are the examples that I just gave you. where right. Two two businesses are partnering. Uh, to sell something directly to the end consumer. And then there's b right? 2 b to b right? Two businesses working together, you know, to um, refer business to a business, essentially. Um, you know, and so I think the best example, honestly, is what we're doing with Shopify, to be honest, right? So we have a channel partnership integration with Shopify. Uh, so if you're a new store on Shopify, think about this. Are you going to get in there and pay an $11 CPM uh, for a Facebook ad? Sure. Uh, you might test that. You know, I, I worry about the scale, you know, uh, you know, if you're, if you're not targeting that precisely um, and, or do you want to push a button and activate the pre-installed impact integration so that you can go to work on getting uh, revenue acquired more, more cost effectively. So, so think about that for a minute, like, like, you know, finding, getting into the impact software to, to find influencers, find these commerce content publishers, uh, other businesses, influencers to refer you business um, even if you're a very small business on Shopify, which there are a lot of, that's a great B2B sort of partnership that, um, that exists. And there, you know, I already mentioned the, um, uh, the, the Canva uh, HubSpot example. Um, what would be another one? Let me see if I can think offhand. Well, we, um, I'll, I'll give my
0: uh, shameless Cloud Software Association plug. I always get this in here somehow, some way. This will be a perfect example. Um, so by the time you listen to this, I actually did a masterclass on this topic. So it's the first time where the mic was 100% turned on me, um, where how to land strategic alliances as a startup, right? So with your category leader. And I told the story of how I did this from PandaDoc to HubSpot or from Drift to Marketo or Drift to Adobe, from like zero relationship to... Like partner of the year, like number one strategic partner, and um, this goes back to um, I think we brought this up in our, our kind of pre-chat, and I don't think you'd um, I don't think you picked it up, but correct me if I'm wrong. The Sumo Advantage um, is written by the founder of True Cars. Have you had you heard of that book, Dave? I've I brought it up a couple times on the show, and I I always bring it up reluctantly because I guess it did teach me something. But basically, um, what he talked about was. The dynamics that are required to go land these big industry defining partnerships, um, you know, a little bit dated, um, but I think relevant, uh, especially Michelle, to your point, like finding the black swan, right? Like what is that? What is that thing that is true that not all parties are aware of that aligns all of this interest? And I feel like from a B2B to C standpoint, you're, you're seeing a very clear path to customer acquisition. Right, there's typically some like direct link tracking, um, and there's some way to kind of expand that audience. Um, one example that I love forever is uh, Better.com. It's the fastest-growing real estate kind of company in the world, and Credit Karma, the best credit. Like, I bought three houses because of a well-timed Credit Karma Better introduction. Uh-huh. Right, like my credit hit yep. a certain score, and they were like, "Hey, you should probably refinance. Here's Better, and here's their offers." Right, great example. But when it comes business to business, like how I had to land that alliance with Marketo or with HubSpot or with Adobe, it was very unclear in that first year if there was going to be any ROI, so to speak, um, uh, in terms of like partnering up. So I, I think maybe that's why the examples that we think of in business to business are like, hmm, but it certainly seems like the tides are changing. If you think about um, you know, maybe a sister company to some of the partner disruption that you're um, you know, uh, leading Dave, like Crossbeam, right? So um, we've had Bob on uh, the show, he's a fantastic episode. That platform is pretty strictly B2B right now. And it's trying to like help people understand, oh, you do have this overlap of TAM and customers and trying to kind of associate. So maybe if there's not a ton of like near-term examples, I'd, I'd maybe love to get your thoughts or forecast, if you will, on, you know, that B2B2B side. What do you think is going to change over the next few years or decade um, for these B two B partnerships? That I think you have tons of incredible examples that every yeah. I mean, studied.
2: yeah. If you if you read the research, you know, large companies like Salesforce, um, right? Of course, some others, Microsoft. They talk about. I mean, how do you keep growing when you're when you're that big? You're doing billions and billions in revenue. Do you think you can realistically rely on a brute force, uh, sales team, go to market motion to keep, keep growing 50% every year at that, at that scale. It's impossible. Like you, you have to thrive on a channel partnership strategy at that scale. We're experiencing it ourselves. Like we're investing a lot more in our own channel partnership strategy, looking for other businesses to refer us business. So I mentioned the, the Shopify example, we were just at the, uh, Saster, uh, event just recently, um, sponsoring because we were promoting our new release, our new capabilities in the B2B2B space, right? to, to compete more uh, competitively and effectively within that uh, segment of, of partnerships. Uh, so you're making a the so, bet
0: there, not just philosophically. 100%. Yeah, this is this is, a, this is
2: a, a, a major uh, growth initiative uh, within, a, uh, within impact.com because it does have some nuances. What you're talking about is a very different sales motion to, to your point around tracking, for example. Tracking is less done through like a pixel to confirm it. And it requires like an integration with a CRM, like like a HubSpot uh, and Salesforce, um, both of which we have, because there's typically like a, a lead or referral that comes in for like some complex software sale. It could be a financial service package, et cetera. And you need, need to be able to pass that lead through, track it through into that CRM, report back to the partner who referred um, a, a prospect over, Report back, hey, we're, we're uh, 50% uh, sales opportunity cycle. We've got another meeting coming up as a next step. You know, there's there's collateral that you're making available to those partners. You want that available within the platform. All these things. It's very different from that b 2 b to c sort of experience where you're tracking uh, typically a sale that happens directly from the consumer on, uh, on the, the website that they're purchasing from. You can report that back in more kind of real time you're dealing with B2B2B, to bi would say the biggest difference is the lag. When, when a, a prospect or an opportunity is created to when a deal is closed, you're typically dealing with larger um, order values as well. Uh, so the commission rates um, uh, are typically uh, different uh, within that exchange. Yeah, it has its own set of requirements, but we are you know deeply in that space now. We're expecting uh, that to be another um, uh, you know, level of growth for our business, we think, going forward.
0: Absolutely. I feel like, um, it's indicative of the partnership economy, you know, to mm-hmm. use the appropriate phrase, right? That's the title of the book, the partnership that's it. economy. That's it's it. coming yeah. out February 14th and mm-hmm. uh, you can pre-order it on February uh, on 15th Amazon 15, today.
2: 15, oh, 15, February 15th, oh, February fifteenth. that's your
1: birthday. His birthday is the 16th. Okay. The
2: day before my birthday, <laughs> All right. All right. February
1: 15th, halfway through February. Actually, I guess not. 28 days of February.
0: (laughs) So, I I think my clarion call to the listeners that might be on the the more B2B side is I've been fascinated in my conversations with Dave by all of the illustrative examples in the B2C world of just partnerships, ideas, and creativity that, you know, the best B2B companies that I can reference and like some of the special sauce, sauce Michelle that made Drift so special in the beginning, right? Was like we took a business to human approach right? We changed the game of traditional B2B marketing in a lot of ways, like in our early stage growth, where we had an outsized impact on the market. And for those partnerships leaders out there, if you're struggling to find good analogs in stories and examples, follow along, uh, you know, Dave's story, the impact.com blog, they have some great content and examples of innovative companies that are out there doing partnership deals and motions and strategies that are just, I think, industry defining. And um, you know, really shake up. Like we didn't even get into like the Ticketmaster example, which is such an incredible one and how they partnered with the best platforms out there around events. Um, so
2: maybe another pro tip, maybe another pro tip, uh, Jared, for your, for your audience on on B2B, a key strategy is, uh, just integrate with them and you don't even have to talk to them. Like, like what, what I love about how, uh, how businesses have evolved is just the open nature of platforms. And we very much, uh, embrace this and want to we, we, we are very much an open architecture. If there's somebody that is looking to partner with us, it's very easy to do. And we've done that with like MMPs, the um, the mobile measurement providers, for example, like Branch. We have we have an integration with, right? It just helps clients who are onboarding with impact. It helps with um, the ease of onboarding to track these mobile events. And we give them an option. Sure, we have a page load API that, that you can integrate with, but if you're already integrated with branch and you prefer to use them for uh, the reporting of those events, no problem. But what, what does that enable you to do? The branch guys are are referring us business and we're referring them business. And and it's just a great easy way for B2B to B sort of partnerships is just, you know, get after their open source documents, their APIs, you know, everything's interoperable today, or it should be, you know, uh, I, I think, I think companies who resist that, uh, are not going to last for the long term. I think that the, the companies who embrace openness are going to be able to um, to grow faster, I think, than their competitors, um, mostly by way of partnerships, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. I oh, couldn't agree ahead. more. Michelle?
1: <laughs> no, I was going to say, I feel like you know it used to be this, you need to build all the technology to be a jack of all trades and be everything for a company. But what I found is the most successful companies are just partnering with the other best in technologies. Uh, and you get, you're able to have that joint value proposition for your customers to have everything in one place, but have the best technologies uh, all under one roof. So couldn't yeah, and let more. The, and,
2: let the, and let the customers decide. You know, they right, can either use right. our tracking or they could use branch tracking. Like, like, yeah. like we shouldn't dictate that and force yeah. them into, you know, one or the other. Like, you know, yeah, know, here's the pros and cons. Like, make a decision and we'll support whichever you think is the best course.
1: Exactly. I think, you know, you said b 2 b to b b to b to c I think no matter what, the way you got to think about it is you're selling to a human and humans like are into this new, what do you, what are you calling it? The decade of of ecosystem, right? Or at least Jay McBain's been calling it that where, you know, they're going to buy in the way that they buy for consumer, whether it's business to business or business to consumer. Um, and so the buyer's in control. You're still selling to a human and uh partnerships is the, is a really great way to get in front of your audience. So that's great.
2: Yeah, that's it. I think that's the heart of it. it you, it's like, uh, there's so much choice out there. You have to embrace the end buyer, the end consumer and let them be the star of the show.
0: And that's the definition of the partnership economy, which you need to pre-order. Check it out Get it for your C-suite. If you're going to force an initiative to say, Hey, we're, we're leaning in on partnerships. Dave's new books coming out. Um, I read a pre-copy. It's incredible. Great examples. Um, so Dave, check him out, uh, check out the impact blog, follow him, follow him online and um, partner up. It's been an awesome show. Dave, thank you so much. Before we go though, quick, quick, uh, quick reminder to the folks at home. If you're just listening on uh, audio, so Spotify, Apple podcasts, Michelle knows that uh, she only accepts five-star reviews on Apple podcasts, Um, but check us out. (laughs) Yeah. Check us out on YouTube as well. So you get to um, uh, see our friendly faces as well. So um, Dave, it's been incredible. Uh, We absolutely have to have you back on post book launch and uh, partner up. We'll see y'all
2: next time. Thanks guys enjoyed it thanks Peter. cheers